Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. And as I speak, it is Thursday, August 22nd. But when you're hearing this, it'll probably be Sunday. The 25th. Whoa, that is tough. And then, correct. Uh, <laughs> Lord knows when else you're hearing this, because um, of course it's the podcast. My guest will now introduce herself. All guests on bonus time introduce themselves. So without further ado, guest, take it away. Introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Lori Glenn. I am president and CEO of Think Inc., which is a political public affairs consulting firm on public policy issues. We work only on social justice issues from human rights, inclusion, equity, community and economic development, affordable housing, uh, education, public safety issues, environment, women's, you name it. We've probably worked on it over the last 40 years. Yes. This is getting longer and longer, and we are Chicago-based, but do we do work internationally? In fact, I'm really proud to say I saw two young women who I coached uh, in uh, Brussels in the last couple of months who are now members of parliament in the European Union, and they rock and roll. Wow. Very proud of That's them. That's that Lori Glenn impact. <laughs> Man, she's controlling... <laughs> nothing. Uh, nothing. Our- <laughs> She controls nothing. Let's be very clear about that. All right, so let's be clear about something else. I've known Lori Glenn for a very long time, and usually we have these incredible off-the-record conversations on the phone where Lori tells me how the world really works. Okay, Ben, (laughs) this is how the world really works, because Lori Glenn's been involved in political campaigns going back for a long, long time in many different uh, states, cities, et cetera. Ben, this is how the world works. Ben, this is how the world works. But it's usually (laughs) off the record. So finally, over the years, I have talked Lori Glenn into emerging from her cocoon, Coming out from the bubble, going standing in front of a microphone. No off the record, Laurie. Can't go off the record when you got the microphone right there. So, uh, and so, you know, we're going to get, uh, take a little deep dive into uh, what Donald Trump is up to. Uh, Lori Glenn has a lot of interesting theories of it. And uh, I, when I think about what Donald Trump is up to, I think of several categories what Donald, that, that just have been in the news lately that mm-hmm. I've been uh, very interested in for many different reasons. Uh, what Donald Trump is up to with immigration, what Donald Trump is up to with um, Jews in the Democratic Party, what Donald Trump is up to with Greenland out of nowhere. Where he all of a sudden wants to buy Greenland and then he gets mad at Denmark because they don't want to sell it. <laughs> it's like, I, who ever heard of a negotiation where you get mad at the person because they don't want to sell? If I wanted your car and you said no, and I started yelling at you. Anyway, uh, so what is Donald Trump up to? He, is there some method to his madness or is he just a lunatic? We'll take it all point by point. But before we do that, is there anything you want people to know really important or should we wait to the end of the interview? I think we should wait till the end. Let's just Go right Let's go here. right to Donald Trump. What is Donald Trump 
up to uh, in the most general sense, and then we'll get more specific. What is Donald Trump up to? Disruption, distraction, uh, destroying things, disdain, and he's trying to um, sorry consolidate his base through these actions. So the best way I can describe this is there's a method to the madness and there's this thing called chaos theory. Mm -hmm. So my boyfriend, David Marienthal, hi, honey. (laughs) Uh, And (laughs) I, shout out to David. Uh, We were in Vietnam over the uh, Christmas holidays uh, Mm -hmm. or Hanukkah holidays, as it may be. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, there's this special thing when you cross the street in many Asian countries in general, I'm told, but I can only tell you in particular in Vietnam, which is the drivers, there, there are 80 million people in Vietnam. There are 50 million motorbikes, not bicycles, but motorbikes, mm-hmm. in addition to all the cars. Um, they do not drive like we do in the United States. It is, I understand now why we lost the Vietnam War, because our generals did not bother to go watch people drive and how they think. It is like the Borg in Star Trek. There is a method to their madness. They, if you cross the street, you can raise your hand or not, and you just start crossing. And if you go backwards, you will get run over, because all the cars just go in all sorts of directions. There is, it looks chaotic. It looks like, oh my God, what are these people doing? But actually, if you watch it over time, there's like this underlying method to how they are driving and they don't get killed. I mean, some people do and they don't have accidents. Though, of course, there are some like here, but there is a true method. And that's what I think is going on with Donald Trump. He is obfuscating on every day. There's, this is what I would do. Like he is trying to really take everything off track. He is every day coming up with some new bizarre message. Now it's Greenland. Are you frigging kidding me? (laughs) What the, what did Greenland ever do? I mean, like that's insane. Okay. And then it's Jews, are disloyal. Well, first of all, hearkening back is he loves to go back into history. And we know it's not him. It's the people feeding him a bunch of things as well around using the word loyalty. Like we are back in the 50s and McCarthyism and who's loyal and who is not loyal to the United States. Well, let me be perfectly clear. I am an Ashkenazi Jew since the day I was born. I have... um, I admit I am an agnostic slash atheist Jew, but I am a cultural Jew through and through. When I talk to people, one of the first things I tell them is I'm Jewish because I've encountered anti-Semitism in my life and from people who I thought potentially could have been my friends, but because I don't quote unquote look Jewish, they said something and it's like so sad, too bad. We now know you're filled with hate and that means we can't be friends. So I just put it out there. But first and foremost, you know, like I'm an American. Hey, you know, like (laughs) I'm a woman first. And then I'm American and I am a Jew. And by the way, Netanyahu, you suck. 
You are the worst, worst leader Israel has ever had, and your wife is a crook. And both of you have been, done the worst PR job for Jews in the world, other than Bernie Madoff and now Epstein. I mean, what a total, yeah. utter embarrassment for Jews everywhere. I mean, we're dealing with anti-Semitism every day all over the world. And then we have to deal with Netanyahu as the leader of Israel again and again and again. And I will never defend him. Now, I grew up knowing how wonderful Israel is. I've been there once and felt the power of being at the Wailing Wall, felt the power of being in Jerusalem and the power of, 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 the, of the earth that is Israel. It is a phenomenal place, but it's never good to build a wall. It's never good to create a minority of people who actually are living there together. And it absolutely is not America's job, and certainly not the president, to be telling the leader of Israel who to let in their front door. Mm -hmm. Now, as a Jew, I work specifically with Think Inc., my political and public affairs consulting firm, with people in the African-American, Latino, and Muslim community. I am proud to say I work with the Inner City Muslim Action Network over the years, many years, and other Muslim-led organizations. Our job, I believe, is to make sure that the Muslim community and Jewish community work closely together to fight hate across the world. And I'm devastated that Israel would ever listen to a man that unfortunately we call President Trump and disinvite congressional leaders of the United States. And both of these women, amazing human beings as well. I am a Jew calling a Muslim leader an amazing person. And they have every right to not like the political ideology of Israel, just like I have every right to dislike the political ideology of Israel. And I am not a self-hating anti-Semite. I, I love being a Jew. I always talk about what it means to have Jewish culture. I'm proud of my Judaism. I, um, Every year I have Passover and I bring people who are not Jewish to the table because I believe Passover is a powerful holiday around um, uh, issues of uh, freedom uh, and uh, enlightenment. And I want to share this with people. But we as Jews must always question. And as Americans, um, there was a political philosopher who wrote the book, The Rights of Man. And he said, um, always, the most important thing that you can do if something is true is you question it over and over and over again. And so for me, as a Jew, I live by that. I mean, Jews are all about asking questions. In fact, one of the funniest things I ever heard from people in Israel was, it's not the Arabs who are going to take out the Jews. It's the Jews who are going to take out each other in the Knesset. So for me, that's because we're people who are always questioning things. We argue, we fight, we dissect. I mean, that's what the Talmud is about. Mm -hmm. It's about questioning, asking questions duking it out in the world of ideas. And 
I'm sorry, but I am deeply disappointed by the government of Israel. Oh, am I now anti-Semitic because of that? Oh, I'm deeply disappointed in the government of the United States. Oh, am I anti-American now? Oh, I'm deeply disappointed in even Macron, okay, in France. Oh, I've spent a lot of my life in France. Does that mean I don't like France now? Oh, my God, there's this guy who's a joke of the prime minister of England now. Oh, does that mean I hate the British? (laughs) I mean, get over it. I'm done with this. All right. Let me just uh, just stop you now to ask a question. Uh, and uh, so you, you started off uh, before you went on that riff about the, the, the chaos theory of watching people in Vietnam cross the street in such a way, a precise way. It looks like it's crazy, but there's actually a method to it. Uh, and they're essentially able to get across the, tr- the street safely, get to where they want to go, and the cars are able to get through traffic without slowing down. I, I presume that was the point you were right. making. Right, I mean, the cars are just crazy. I mean, the way people drive is like, really interesting. So so using that as our metaphor, as our overriding uh, analogy, then uh, let's go to Donald Trump. And so, yes, you're right. Just to help people out, the the way this uh, uh, story broke is that Donald Trump started it with a tweet uh, that he addressed directly to Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, that said, uh, you will look weak if you allow uh, Congresswoman Omar and Congresswoman Tayyib to come into your country. And uh, Netanyahu responded to that tweet essentially within a day or two by uh, reversing the country's, uh, Israel's uh, decision to allow them access to Israel and say they can no longer come in uh, to Israel. Uh, And so in the fallout, Donald Trump has said that uh, Jews who who vote for the Democratic Party are disloyal, uh, which again got in the whole issue. What are they disloyal to? And then he followed up by saying they're disloyal uh, to the United States and to Israel uh, and uh, to themselves. Uh, So what do you think Donald Trump's strategy was in doing all this? Again, First of all, I just want to go back a moment to say our president is tweeting and another country responds to a tweet. I'm sorry. Once Mr. Trump is no longer in the position he is in, and I can only hope that is sooner than later, as I now am supporting the impeachment process, which I was against up until recently, but we cannot get this man out of there soon enough, even if we have to deal with Pence. But why are we even, why would the president of a legitimate quote unquote democracy respond to a president via a tweet? And why would he allow a foreign body to influence the quote unquote democracy of Israel. I'm sorry. I I just begin there. And I think, of course, someone is testing words. Loyalty. Someone must have tested the word loyalty in his ranks and said, use this. It's going to really, really touch people, a nerve in Mm -hmm. people. And now we can start seeing if people are loyal to America, just like in McCarthyism. Mm -hmm. So, I believe that, again, this is just one more of their distractions. They're just distracting us from all the EPA regulations. They're deregulating, Ben. They're distracting us from the real business at hand of uh, climate change, of what they're doing uh, around 
real issues in our own country that need to be addressed around equity issues, around uh, violence in our cities. Oh, oh, gun control. They don't want to deal with gun control. So he just, every day, they're sending out another new message that we're kind of like, oh my God, oh, now we're dealing with uh, whether or not we have to take a loyalty test. I bet that's the next thing that comes out. You're going to have to sign a loyalty test, right? Just like they're stopping people who are actually citizens at the border and holding them hostage until they're proven that their ID is legitimate. So I think that this is um, tyranny, actually. And I think this is the beginning demagoguery. I think that we have to really be careful about how he is touching our democracy and um, becoming a dictator. Do you think it will work? Do you think that Trump's efforts in this? I mean, I think it is working. All Trump is doing is speaking to his base. So I just read this story in the Chicago Sun Times, although it could be maybe the Tribune, but it was about 62 percent of the voters don't like Trump, his job performance. Yet he has stayed within a range of people around 30, 32% who support him. Well, that's his base. So he is every day, he doesn't care about you and me. He knows we don't like him. We, I can even say, I can't stand him. I hate, I hate to use the word hate, but I really can. I can't stand this guy, but he's not talking to me. He doesn't care what I think. He cares about his voters and every day is election day in Trump land. I mean, think about this. People died, their families torn asunder by these two recent mass shootings on either side of our continent, of our nation. And he goes there and he said, look at the turnout I get. We know he's mentally ill, that's clear. But that was because he has no empathy. And empathy, he, he, he talked about himself at a moment when all that mattered was the souls of these people whose lives had been completely destroyed. Mm -hmm. So for me, I believe that this is very strategic what they're doing, and it is chaos theory. That is that it looks like, why is he talking about this today? Because we he's destroying the American public's um, sort of uh, our ability to um, keep track of things, our attention span. He's just like, boom, boom. You know, today it's Planned Parenthood. Then tomorrow it's Greenland. And the next day it's Jews. Oh, let's get back to those Mexicans. Oh, now we're going to go back to, you know, (laughs) I don't know what. Let's create something new, another distraction. But consolidating forever his base because... This is the question for the Democrats. How are you going to beat him? Yeah. What, which one of these candidates is going to get their act together to be able to very clearly create a strategy? Because all that matters at this point in time is the Electoral College. We have the popular vote. Hillary Clinton had three million more voters than Donald Trump. She won, technically speaking. So but it it didn't matter because of the electoral college, which is not going away anytime soon. 
I believe we talked about this in a previous conversation. So me, as a Democrat, I don't care about all this crazy shit he talks about. Okay, if I was his um, message person, I'd be doing exactly, they are winning. What I want to know is how are we going to beat him? Because four more years after the next 18 months, our democracy will be hanging by a thread because every year there's new young people growing up and they're going to start believing this is how a democracy operates. And it's just like, you know, I feel like Grandma Moses here. Well, I remember when we could be met <laughs> yeah. at the plane, yeah. right, at the gate, yeah. and someone could be there to greet you. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have to go through metal detectors mm. and all body scans and, you know, all the things we do. And now people think that's normal. Mm-hmm. That is not normal. Yeah. Okay. So my fear is that we're raising another generation of people who are not going to understand that democracy is, you know, there's a pluralism of ideas. It's the back and forth. I've actually, when I ran electoral campaigns, I elected, I see narcissism 101. (laughs) I elected, I did this last time, but Joe Harb, Republican in Orinda, Great guy. A, a Republican where? In Orinda, California. Okay. Oh, yeah. Joe was a great guy. City uh-huh. councilman. I don't remember if we won or not. I think we did. But the whole point is, is like, I'm a very progressive left wing Democrat, whatever. I mean, you know, I'm very to the left, people would probably say. But I worked with Republicans. Oh, yeah. Me and Joe Biden. <laughs> Poor Joe. But I got to say, it's like you got to be able to accept yeah. that people disagree with one another. And that's what democracy is about, is the duking out of ideas and allowing us to all live together mm. in this community. But I want to know how we're going to win. And I don't see it yet. Wow. And I'm scared. You don't see it. Not yet. Well, well, let me put it differently. Mm-hmm. In some ways... As he activates his base, what I am hoping is that the Democratic Party is activating our base. But you see, it's got to be beyond the land of the blue. It can't, I mean, one, it is true. We have to turn people out in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Ohio, and Florida, in all the states where we didn't get to, you know, we didn't get to go. We didn't, we didn't cross the line. Uh, Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. The election of in 2016 was about, to a large degree, activating our base and our inability to activate our base and our inability, when I say our, the Democratic Party, I've been a Democrat my whole life, so who am I kidding? I'm just going to say our. And the Democratic Party's inability to get people who traditionally vote Democrat to come out and vote. And I've dealt with this in many different ways. Uh, Lori, people telling me I didn't vote or people tell me there's no difference between the Democrats and Republicans uh, and uh, or people minimizing Trump. And so I do believe the Democrats um, have to rally their base every bit as much as uh, Donald Trump is rallying his base. And I feel (laughs) that there's maybe I'm being really too optimistic here. But when the primary series season is over, I have to believe that's going to happen. I believe that will happen. I think the Democrats will consolidate behind somebody. Um, and I deal with this all the time. We'll talk about that. Let me get your thoughts about this. Like, I've been mentioning this all day. Last night I was with a friend, a good friend of mine. 
uh, and I, uh, she is of the uh, baby boomer persuasion. <laughs> and uh, so uh, when I asked her, you know, as I always do, who are you supporting? She dropped her voice. I kid you not. She was almost as embarrassed to admit this. I've been saying this all day in the show. She supports Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Why don't you shout it out, man? Come on, say you're for Biden. Oh my God, what do you got? Just Democrats were ashamed of Joe Biden. I don't get that at all. Oh well, it's really easy to understand why. But I want to say one thing. I want to give a shout out to Stacey Abrams. And she has started a voter, you know, anti-voter suppression um, project. I gave a hundred dollars to on Facebook. Everybody, go support what she's doing because we. It's partly one. Some of our losses have been because of voter suppression, including hers. And I think we really need to pay attention to all of these things. Yes. And I do believe that there are a lot of. St- strategic folks out there in the land who are focusing on building grassroots organizations and systems to turn votes out and to get people to to vote systemically um, in the next election. And I think that's very key. But so Joe Biden is old. That's it. He is. He's an old guy. So I'm old now, too. Not as old as he is. <laughs> By a long shot. But the fact is... If things go well, one day you will. One be. day I will. Yeah. Knock on wood. Yeah. But the fact is that Joe always... And I like Joe Biden. See, I've met him. I don't know. I'm like, he's not my BFF. I've met him a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. When I was in electoral politics, he is a really nice guy. He's a good man. This man is... Uh, I just had this conversation with a friend. I mean, he lost his wife, his daughter, his son. He is a tremendous, he's, he has dealt with some of life's hardest hits and he got back up and uh, he has empathy. Uh, I think he's a real guy, but, and Mr. Biden, if you ever hear what I say, I'm sorry in deference, but you have foot and mouth disease. It's like he can't help himself. He just kind of says stuff that gets him in trouble. Mm-hmm. And um, if I am the opposition you know, consultant, I will use his words against him. And it is very hard for young people to get excited about Joe Biden. It's hard for them to rally. And it's not just because he's old, because, you know, Bernie, I love Bernie. He's so great. And Bernie- <laughs> Bernie's older than Joe. And he's older, but, and I, sorry, Bernie, I'm not sure it's your time now. And you got screwed last time, big time, because it may have been your time, I think, to have done it. But Bernie, he's got this energy, this glow, you know, he just comes in and you're like, <laughs> I feel the bird. I told you about my email from him, just from the email, you know, yeah. there, he's exciting, he's dynamic. And Joe, well, he's not. He is a wonderful, loving, warm, nice guy who is somewhat out of touch with the next generation. And so they're going to look at him and take everything he does out of context, you know, because he did some shitty stuff. The stuff he did um, uh, around um, the U.S. Supreme Court. Oh, you're talking about Anita Hill. Anita and, uh, and Clarence. Clarence Thomas. You know, he did some stuff that was not good. Mm-hmm. Let's just leave it at that. Not great, Joe. Wish you hadn't done that. There are some things that also 
we also, though, have to look at that times have changed. And so the way he talks about women, really outdated. Mm -hmm. I don't think he is a predator or purposely touches people in inappropriate ways. Not to say it's not inappropriate, because now we know it is. But before, I'm sorry, it was accepted. Mm -hmm. So what was acceptable even 10 years ago is so dramatically changed. Mm -hmm. It Things are so dramatically shifting. Just even the way we talk about our sexuality is changing so dramatically. Yeah. Well, only on the Democratic side. Not on the Republicans. I mean, the Republican side, it's... Oh, you mean all the Republicans who were in the closet? I mean, key Republican consultants who were in the closet and went after the gay community, tragically, sadly, that they were such self-hating people. Mm-mm-mm. Mm. But so for me... I still am unclear about how we're going to win because you see Donald Trump, he's really brilliant at understanding the underbelly of the psyche of the American public or people in general. He says the worst thing that you could possibly say, and then he makes it okay for people to say this in the public space, which is part of what is destroying our democracy because part of democracy requires integrity of how we act in a public space. Mm -hmm. And he's making it okay to say, oh my God, you're a fat pig. Well, no, you don't say that. You shouldn't be allowed to say that, but he is talking to his base, his base, are people who are very, very, very unhappy. We talked about this before. They are on drugs. I just was listening to WBEZ. They're on Oxycontin, right? They're like high as kites. They have no jobs. They are not well-educated. They don't know where their kids are going to go after, you know, to get a job. And they're in the middle of America in key states that control Oh, I know that would be the electoral college going back to that. So what I want to know is what are we doing in terms of messaging to get those people to understand that their self-interest is not Donald Trump, who will never do anything for them, except provide some fantasy island dream that one day maybe they could become a billionaire. Well, I have to believe at the risk of sounding naive that, uh, a majority of voters in this country, even with the electoral college system, which is so corrupt and which the Democrats should have made a move to change mm-hmm. starting back in 2000. Mm-hmm. Okay. They should have done it in 2000 because in 2000, the, the election was stolen from the Democrats when uh, Bush was awarded, uh, even though Al Gore defeated him in the popular right, vote. With the hanging chads. So that should have been the, the beginning of the democratic movement to end the electoral college, at which point we would now be in year 19. Oh, do you receive But that's not how Democrats work. No, it's not. Democrats, Republicans would have already been in year 19. No, because they're very singular in their focus. Republicans, it is true. Maybe it's the nature of the beast that's attracted to uh, parties. But like uh, their political strategists don't think within like the next congressional term or the next presidential they're thinking like newt gingrich i said on radio years ago when someone said oh how do you feel about having lost this thing here and he's like 
I don't care. I'm not thinking about what's right in front of me. I'm thinking about 20 years from now. So I don't feel that the Democrats would do that. I am sorry. I don't get a vision. I have a laundry list. Like, okay, Medicare, like we're going to argue about the tactics of healthcare. Like, let me be clear. But, but this is the point I was making about- That bores the shit out of the American public. No, but th- th- this is this is the point I was making about my dear friend of the baby boomer persuasion who lowered her voice when she said she was for Joe Biden. Democrats not only don't have a singular message, they seem to th- enjoy fighting each other as much as they enjoy fighting Republicans. And I know this- uh, Lori Glenn, because I have a ceaseless parade of Democrats who come before that very microphone mm-hmm. and I listen to one rip. I just I do not sense that Republicans enjoy. Now, it's true. Donald Trump mocked everybody on the stage. Well, he's uh, not really a Republican. Yeah, he's, not, he's a Democrat. He, right. By the way, he is a Democrat. He started off as a I Democrat. I know. I know. Uh, and but he, his his true ideological base. So I think that the Democrat. It, Democrats are very bizarre in that even as they say the thing they want most to, is to defeat Donald Trump. No, they, they most what they want is power. Oh, let us be very perfectly clear. Wait, wait. I'm talking about Democratic, uh, ordinary Democratic voters. I'm not talking about the oh. opera, the chieftains who are okay. the Roms sorry, of the world. I yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. talking about real Democrats who vote. And, <clears throat> uh but so many of them spend their time just fighting each other. It's just, you know that you've hung around Democrats your whole life. Right. But maybe that's because they also believe in democracy, which I said is about pluralism and it is about the duking out of ideas, which I think is actually a good thing. So I do believe that as Thomas Paine said, that it is really important for people to actually uh, question things. And I like that about the democratic party except until it comes to the point where you know i think i feel like i've said this story before like people who are have no family or friends they like they would stay till the end of these party meetings and then finally the vote would come and they get to vote cuz everyone else had to go home cuz they had a life so these extremists in the party would then end up being the ones to make defining decisions so i don't have answers here. I will tell you. I don't no. feel like I know. Hey, I brought you here for answers. I know. And uh, <laughs> except that I am deeply concerned because I actually think Donald Trump every day wakes up and thinks about his base and how to turn them out. And he is singular in that. And how he paints people again as the enemy. I mean, he, you know, Machiavelli 101 on so many levels. Mm-hmm. And the Democrats, I just do not feel, you know, this cohesive message. And frankly, there's no discipline. Now, finally, some of these fringer candidates, whom actually I liked a lot, these guys who are dropping yeah. out now, uh, they're really great thoughtful people. I did watch one of two debates. Sorry, Ben. Yeah, you should have watched them both. I know. I just, you know, that was my homework. Do 10 push-ups. I know. uh, Not here. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I will say that I still didn't get a sense of a vision of what will hold America together. And it is true that, um, 
I love Elizabeth Warren because she is a brilliant, thoughtful leader who probably would make a great president. Unfortunately, being a candidate and being the uh, president are two different things. And I am trying to see who will ignite the imagination of the Democratic electorate to get them to turn out and young people to turn out because old people aren't enough. And obviously the African-American community has to be engaged to turn out because they did not turn out as much before because Hillary Clinton, oh, I know, let's remember, they didn't do their homework. They didn't go to Michigan. They didn't go to Wisconsin. They never stepped foot in Ohio and these places that they needed to go because they were arrogant. So, you know, winning a campaign is not just the sexy part of it. It's really the work on the ground and doing the field work and really in the trenches. So people really have to not ignore the states that bit them in the butt because places like Chicago, California, New York, they are going to turn out and vote to defeat Donald Trump. But what I want to see is what is the strategy to engage the imagination of the farmer who's been wiped out from uh, the climate change of rain, torrential floods across the country that have devastated farmers. Mm-hmm. Who's going to speak to them? I'm not hearing that from the Democratic Party. Who's going to speak to the families who's really not sure the future of their children, what that looks like in these cities and states that are more marginalized. And we have to do that. And I don't hear that. I did not hear that in the one debate that I did. Well, first of all, the, okay, uh, there were the, each debate was like the other one. So you didn't really miss, I hate to say this because I've always tell my guests, you have to watch these debates. Uh, but you have a sense of what the, each debate was about if you just saw one. Uh, and I was so, I saw Bernie was talking about the debates the other day. I was watching an interview and he said they're reality TV. And so that concentrated message that you're asking uh, to hear that you want to hear is not likely to emerge um, as pronounced from this early stages of debates. This is a process. And uh, so I feel that will that's going to sharpen as time goes on. I hope it does anyway. If it doesn't, the Democrats are in a lot of trouble. Um, So at, at this stage, when you say we lack discipline, this is not that much different than when the Republicans were in 2015. In 2015, the Republicans had, I don't know how many people on stage. 15. Okay, let us be very clear. The Demo- Republicans didn't win. Hillary Clinton lost. We're, don't get confused about this. Donald Trump didn't win. Hillary Clinton lost that election. Now, I believe Hillary Clinton would have been a great president. I think it was her time. I think that the issues I might have had with her over the years, uh, stylistically, uh, in many ways, though, there were some votes, very key votes, I don't think I agreed with. But I think she was ready to lead our nation. But um, she's like the worst candidate ever. People don't like her. Nothing personal, Hillary, never met you. But... She has a very low likability. It, it does. It, she, people don't feel 
empathy. They don't feel warm and fuzzy. They didn't do enough of the beer drinking moment that captured America's imagination. <laughs> well, I, listen, Sorry. I, 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 Donald Trump is the opposite of warm and fuzzy. I think there's, look, there were so many factors at play that kept Hillary Clinton from winning an electoral victory. She won the popular vote, as you pointed out. But she never stepped foot in Michigan. Well, that's like tactically insane. She didn't activate her base is what I'm saying. So no one was focused on the base. Who do we need to win? Like I was talking with some people this morning about this, that 33% is your base. They love you. Great. Keep them loving you. Fine. 33% hate your guts. Forget about it. 33% are your undecideds, okay? And, but you can't forget about your base. You just can't. I agree. Oh, I feel The Democratic Party, (laughs) the Democratic Party, now you're where I am at, the Democratic Party consistently forgets about its base, takes its base for granted. Trust me, I know. (laughs) All the time in the city of Chicago, I see it happen time and time Time again. again. I've been writing about it forever. We get you there and then you're like, it's a one night stand. Yeah, (laughs) if that. Oh my God. Uh, If you get one night out of it, you're pretty lucky. So uh, yes, you're absolutely correct. Even if it's just like Donald Trump, quote unquote, doesn't give his base anything. I, I can't think, the only thing- Oh Donald no, Trump, he does too. That is not true. He gives of, them images well, okay. uh, that, regularly I was going, of all these horrible, and I don't believe I, any of this, Mexicans who are coming to take over our country. Okay, that was the, that was the point I was gonna make. I, uh, I was gonna say he doesn't give his base anything of substance other than the pitches that you're talking about, the hate that you're talking about. Uh, but when I think about the one legislative accomplishment that has occurred under Donald Trump's watch, it was a huge tax break that didn't really help the quote, what you would, what you mean by the base? Cause they're the, they're the, no, it hurt them. Exactly. It so, actively hurt them. So I don't even see Democrats do what Donald Trump, the equivalent of what Donald Trump does. I don't see Democrats. Right. I don't see Democrats going out and talking about like, with the exception of Bernie, with the exception of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth right. Warren, right? I don't see Democrats as a, as a party on a consistent basis going out and talking about fighting every day for the needs of ordinary people who are looking to Democrats for leadership. I just had Phil Kedner here in this studio. Uh, he was the guest, and you can hear that show if you want to download it. Uh, it's you can find it on our index. And he and Phil said something. He was talking about a gambling, the gambling bill in Illinois that somehow or other, I don't want to go into the details, Lori Glenn, but somehow or other screwed the South suburbs where a lot of black people live. And there's like this, this gambling bill that was supposed to help pay for government is actually working against some of the poorest communities in the South suburbs. This is a gambling bill that was a byproduct of Democrats. Once again, Democrats screwing Democrats. And let me just be very clear. And I feel like I'm going to be having to share this with my clients. We can hope and that our elected officials will do the right thing. But the only way is to hold them accountable. And that is to organize and to demand that they actually keep their campaign promises. 
And I don't want to go there. I just want to say that, that that is critical. And I believe that the process of gaining power and becoming an insider transforms human beings. And the person that I have often met at the beginning, like an Arinda Troutman, who was a wonderful young woman, who I did her first press conference with her. I was brought in. Former into the 20th Ward. Who was, became ensconced in really bad stuff. I like her. She, I really liked her a lot. And I watched a tragic tale uh, that, I don't want to go into the specifics because I, I like this woman a lot, mm-hmm. but it was her undoing. So if you want your democracy to work, you have to be engaged in it. It's a contact sport. You can't just depend on others to ensure that democracy will stay alive. And Americans can get really lazy, you know, because we have been very fortunate to have the most amazing democracy. And I have traveled all over the world and we really do have an incredible country, regardless of the fact that we started from infamy. We started by wiping out Indians, building on a legacy of slavery, which we still have not addressed the 800-pound gorilla in our lives, whether we know it or not. And I'm so glad that we are talking about it more and more and continue to. But there is still a lot of really great stuff in this country. So like when I went to Vietnam, one of the things they told us is that Um, while they have a capitalist system now because everybody wants to make money, if you talk about the government negatively too much, oh, I know you go to prison. You do. And if you're a student trying to build a student movement, uh, you are thrown out of the university if they hear about it and you can end up in prison. At least at this point in time, I am here and I can say I think Donald Trump is the worst thing that ever happened to our democracy. And as far as I know, I'm not going to get arrested tonight. But if I do, Ben, you're the first person (laughs) I'm going to text and say, get me the hell out of here, you. But you should probably go to a lawyer before. (laughs) I got some good criminal defense lawyers that might be able to help you. But uh, I hear you. Uh, I I hear what you say. By the way, you sound, whether you realize it or not, so much like Bernie Sanders. (laughs) And uh, well, it's two old Jews. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, by the way. Yes. A Jew. Jew that thinks going back that Netanyahu stinks, but I am not anti-Israel, but I think Israel needs to change its policies. I am not anti-Jewish or Jew. I am not anti uh, anything uh, like that, but I am for uh, freedom and democracy. And I certainly think that the sovereign state of Israel well, they need to put their big boy and big girl pants on and they can decide all by themselves which Muslim leaders, and I hope they allow all of them in to their country so that they can have the pluralistic dialogue that they need to have about the oppression of the Palestinian people and what they're going to do about that. Yeah, I don't think at any point was uh, the issue about letting uh, uh, the two congresswomen in about protecting 
Israelis from what they had to say. I think Israel, uh, Israelis could uh, deal with whatever those uh, Congresswoman Omar. But actually, they were trying to blackmail Israel's coat. So he was basically threatening Israel. Yeah. No, I know. So now they're threatening Israel with taking away uh all right. But American I was just going to say uh, the point that I was yes. going to make was that you sound very much like Bernie and that uh, Bernie says constantly that his efforts to advance all this legislative agenda that he has does not end with him being elected. That's right. That it would take it takes a, tr- a movement beyond him. That's to put right. The pressure on the Mitch McConnell's of the world. And, and I've. Bernie's consistent on this, and I applaud him for saying that because to a large degree, when I think about Barack Obama and the tremendous momentum that he rode into office with in 2008, it it had it died by 2010. No, it died when Barack fired all his organizers once he became president. No, that's really what happened. Let's get very clear. Barack Obama gets elected by building this base of community organizers across the country and really engaging in organizing in in cities, states, communities, and turning people out. And then there was a decision within his base, within his organization, and he fired the organizers because they were scared of them and what they'd done. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I mean, I wasn't in the inner circle, Barack. I don't know exactly what you were, were thinking about that, but someone fired all these people. And there was no longer a base being built. They could have kept that. That could have been the alternate base for the Democratic Party. Proving my point. Uh, and Bernie would agree with you on that. And, uh, and instead, they promoted your your dear friend, Rahm Emanuel, as chief of staff. You mean Rahm, who elected the Blue Dogs in Congress, who fought Barack tooth and nail yeah. and divided the Democratic Party when we could have actually been working on really important yeah. issues? Yeah, Rahm didn't elect them. He selected them uh, and got, gave them the endorsement and the money they needed to get elected. No. And then they were most of them were defeated in 2010 uh, when the Republicans took back the House. So as a strategy, it t- totally failed. Somehow or other, he emerged as a genius. I don't know how that happened. Uh, all right, we have pretty much run out of time. So I want to give you some moment just to update people on what you're doing uh, in your professional world if they want to join you or if they uh, want to get more information about what you're up to. Uh, they can figure it out by listening to you right now. Okay. Well, I am working, I'm very excited about this particular project, which is the Partnership for Safe and Peaceful Communities, which are the 40 plus top foundations in Chicago that over the last uh, three to four years have been coordinating their efforts, collaborating together around anti-violence and public safety uh, programs. And it's very, uh, exciting to see what they're doing on the ground. Uh, They came together about three or four years ago uh, to see how do we address gun violence that has been increasing in Chicago over the last several years and the fear of violence. And they worked with groups on the ground, uh, Heartland Alliance and uh, the um, Metropolitan Family Services, And out of that, they developed some very, as well as with Arnie Duncan and CRED. And these groups all came together and created the um, Communities Partnering for Peace. 
and ready programs and cred that are working in uh, unity together on the ground to create peace in our communities. And it is a fantastic, it's the first time I've seen community organizations from the Inner City Muslim Action Network to also to Target Area Development Corporation to Breakthrough to numerous different groups collaborating and working together in communities on outreach, street outreach, but developing a comprehensive approach to dealing with human beings and what's going on in their family, uh, if they have issues related to drugs or drinking, if they need job training, education, mental health issues. It's a very comprehensive approach and ultimately jobs to transform their lives. And I believe that with what is going on in the ground and what is going on with funders, and now that we do have people like Juliana Stratton in office, who is a specialist in restorative justice, and people like Sol Flores, Christian Mitchell, uh, Grace Ho, actually, who was the head of the Woods Fund and instrumental in initial funding of this group and is now the head of Health and Human Services. We have Tony Preckwinkle, Kim Fox, Tom Dart, and now Lori Lightfoot, who has appointed Susan Lee um, in the administration. And you have a lot of political, I believe, foot soldiers uh, who believe that we actually have strategies. We know where what we need to do. And um, as Tenny Gross, I'm going to give you a shout out, Tenny, who is in with one of the... Uh, groups on the ground and a strategist says, uh, we are at Omaha beach, but we have a plan. And I believe that the city of Chicago does have an action plan and they are working with the police department who has a lot of ways to go, but is making strides and changes in their culture and in their systems and working in many places in partnership with groups on the ground to actually make some changes in Chicago. So I feel very optimistic about that. And if anyone is interested, you can go to um, you email me at lrglennglenn at, I'm going to say it and spell it, thinkinkstrategy.com. T-H-I-N-K as in kite. I-N-C as in cat, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-Y.com, and help, happy to put you in touch with people who are working day-to-day, 24 hours a day in their communities to create safe and peaceful communities. All right, very good. That's Lori Glenn. Thank you so much for coming on and telling it like it is or how you see it. Uh, and uh, thank you for uh, being all the good work you do. All right, Lori? Thank you, Ben. All right, that's Lori Glenn. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. That's the end of another Ben Jarofsky bonus.